So I have a wildly unrelated question for Mr. Syracuse. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened with this PlayStation 4 thing? Because I, I don't really follow video games at all, but oh my god, the, the internets went crazy over that. I guess it was like they, a... They didn't go that crazy. Uh, they they went fairly no. crazy. I don't, I don't understand why everyone is all cranky. I think like, everyone's is, mind was blown about how little their mind was blown over the course I think of that, two that hours. is exactly right. I don't, that is I don't, exactly right. I don't get it at all because... like. They do this with every new console, and maybe people are getting more and more worked up about it, but they always do something like this. Like, they always dole out the information. Like, Nintendo is the king of this. They were, remember with the, the Wii, they were like, we, are, we have a new console coming, and it's called the Revolution. And, like, they had a press conference about that, but they told you nothing. And then another time they said, uh, it's called the Revolution, and it's the size of three DVD cases stacked on top of each other. Uh, and the control screen is very interesting. And they didn't tell you anything else. And it's like, like it just... It, you know, the next press conference is like, okay, now it was like so long before they finally showed you, okay, here's the little box, but the control scheme is really neat. And it's like, all right, well, what the hell is the control scheme? And then finally, here's the new console, here's the box, here's what the name is, and here's the controller. And it was like seven press conferences over the course of a year, slowly doling out information <laughs> about the Wii, right? That's how they do it. You know, this is the first press conference. I'm surprised they even showed a picture of the controller. I'm surprised they showed anything. The specs, we already knew what those all were from all the rumors and everything, and they more or less confirmed those, plus or minus a few details. Like, you know, in, in this internet age, we all we already know, like, those sales articles, I think I tweeted one of them, you know, Durango versus Orbis. Uh, those are the two code names of Microsoft and Sony's consoles. It's like we have them down to the, the individual components that are going to be on motherboards. You're never gonna. They're never gonna announce price until it's practically for sale. So anyone expecting price is crazy. Oh, you got to show me the box. Who cares? I mean, like, <laughs> they they showed the box of the PlayStation Three, and then that wasn't the box that they shipped. They showed the controller for the PlayStation Three, and that wasn't the controller they shipped. I don't. I don't know why anyone is upset about any of this. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they this was like the first press release, uh, the first press conference. They showed a bunch of stuff, probably about the same amount of stuff I expected them to show. Anyone who expected to see a price and a date, unless that date was like March, you were crazy. So I so kidding aside, So kidding aside, you were not disappointed by this? No, it's exactly what I expected. Like, I, I, you know, I was disappointed by the controller, uh, but, you know, I can't say that I, I was unexpected. And I was pleasantly surprised about the RAM, which was double the rumored amount, assuming they, assuming they actually stick with that. I mean, because Sony says a lot of things. Like, until the product ships... You know who knows. So I'm, I'm still giving it a thumbs up. I'll buy one, despite the controller. Uh, what's but interesting too is that the architecture they picked, uh, which they basically said it's it's x86 CPUs from AMD and uh, eight gigs of shared RAM with video and main RAM with some beefy uh, AMD video card. That's basically the the modern version of the Xbox One, and and. The Xbox One when it came out because it had like a 733 megahertz Celeron thing. You and your Xbox One. No, but <laughs> no, I'm saying like that was it, thing was such a piece of crap. No, honestly, the Xbox One was a fantastic system. Um, it was not a fantastic system. It was a cobbled together terrible PC. That's what it I was. really beg to differ. I I, I would say because it was effectively it was like a 700 megahertz Pentium something with a GeForce three. That's basically what it was. Like you know, they were they were both custom parts, but that I was... know. And if you open it up, it looked like it. it I, looked I know. Like someone and... had taken a piece of A and put it in the will it blend machine and then jammed <laughs> it into an ugly black box and said, "Here you go." But one thing that yeah. helped them a lot was that making games was just DirectX, and and it was it was easy to program for, which many consoles are very hard to program for, or or at least to extract a lot of good performance out of. And uh, and you know, it was it had so many advantages. 
it's interesting now that you know, and the Xbox went away from that architecture for the 360 and the P- the PlayStation the PS2 and the PS3 were both ridiculously hyped for whatever weird CPUs they had um, which were always very hard to program for uh, especially the, is it the PS3 with the emotion engine or is that the PS2 2 a 3 is cell Yes. Yeah. Even yeah. I knew that, and I don't know. Every, yeah, everyone stuff. complains about both of those, especially the cell as being very hard to program for, uh, efficiently at least. And the thing about the PS2, though, is it cost about as much as the GPU in the original Xbox, like the entire machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, and, and the <laughs> like, thing is, like, it, I can't see this, whatever this PS4 is, I can't see that being inexpensive at launch. I mean, the PS3 launched at, was it 500 yeah, they're they're going to be expensive. It's like, going to be know, the, probably in the, that ballpark. The, the reason everyone the reason everyone's going x86 this generation is because x86 has finally got the you know the power usage under control because the Xbox One was before Intel had gotten their chips down in power. Like it was before the uh, the core architecture, uh, you know, before Apple adopted well, and like that. So but that, it was also before the stupid Pentium Four Netburst architecture that was so wasteful. I know, but it was still it was nothing compared to the the, the power sipping little you know washing machine CPU that's in the PlayStation One and Two. Like consoles used incredibly cheap, wimpy things. So that's why the Xbox was so huge. That's why it was so hot. You know, and so everyone was power PC in the next generation because X86 still hadn't caught up, and uh, that was the sweet spot. It was power PC and ATI, and then this finally now we're in the modern age. The the X86 stacks isn't that bad. You can get a reasonably low powered X86 CPU. Uh, and but really the the reason that the, everyone went with the commodity PC parts this time around is because neither player Microsoft or Sony had the kind of money to invest in all custom stuff like <laughs> Sony did Sony can't afford to do the sell again despite you know whether you you like the sell or don't like it it cost them a tremendous amount of money to develop this crazy ass new thing all on their own they could not put that kind of investment. They didn't want to. And Microsoft also didn't want to pay for IBM to make them their own crazy CPU, GPU thing like they did with the Xbox and everything. They, they said, we ha- we are both not in a position to do that this time. We have to go with commodity parts. There's not enough of an upside for us to do custom. So they, they both go with commodity parts. Now, wait, for, forgive my ignorance on this. I don't know anything about what the next Xbox is, is rumored or planned to have. What- AMD CPU uh, and uh, NVIDIA... Is it AMD? Who's doing the GPU? Whoever's doing the GPU is the same for both of them. Oh, they're both, it's, it's AMD. AMD yeah, both AMD then. Yeah. Formerly ATI for yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same company now, but uh, but yeah, they're the same. I mean, it's they, they were close to the same in the PS. You know, the, the the Xbox 360 doesn't have a cell processor, but they both had uh, GPUs from ATI, and they both had PowerPC cores inside their CPUs. And the cell did all sorts of other crazy stuff and had an NVIDIA uh, GPU in there and everything like that. But yeah, they're. The architectures are different. You should. I'll send you that article that, that I tweeted a couple of days ago. You can, it's short enough. You can read through the differences and what they decided to do. It looked like the difference is going to be that Microsoft was going to have double the RAM of the uh, the Sony box. Right, but now but Sony's was, matched that. But but it was slower RAM, and the re- everyone looked at the Microsoft box and said, "Okay, well, why would you put that much RAM in a game console? It's it's too much and too slow for you to use." And to make up for the slowness of the RAM, the the uh, the next Xbox has a dedicated embedded SRAM, like 32 megabytes of it. Wow! Kind of like how the the GameCube did to uh, to have one really super fast region that you can use for cache or enough for like frame buffers and, and other data that you need close by, and then a, a, an enormous pool of much slower RAM. And the theory behind that is that the Microsoft thing, uh, Microsoft box was going to be like a DVR and a media center, and y- games wouldn't even have access to all that RAM, so it would be like 8 gigs, but games would get like 5 gigs of that or something, and the rest of it would be dedicated to like just doing like you know media center-type activities. 
which would run at the same time as your games. Whereas the Sony one was supposedly coming with four gigs of super duper, you know, four gigs of GDDR5, which is the stuff that's on video cards that would be unified pool. All of it's really fast. You don't need a special cache close to it, but there's not enough left over for you to be doing dedicated, you know, media center, DVR, whatever functionality. But now that Sony has come out with eight, uh, I don't know if they just changed their mind and went with eight, but that's, that's got eight gigs of GDDR5, assuming that's what's in there. I still haven't seen the beginning of the presentation, but I just saw the number on it. Uh, oh, and by the way, the the PlayStation One supposedly has more GPU cores as well. So it, it was a more it was a more interesting fight with the rumored specs. Now that the real specs are out, assuming that the rumored Xbox specs are correct, the Sony One is just more powerful in in all ways, has faster RAM, the same amount, uh, more GPU cores, and then the Xbox One is I guess it'll have its crazy ass Kinect stuff on it too. But you know, I don't know. Uh, but they they are looking very similar uh, this generation. That's very and and then you also throw in is is this Valve Box thing going to happen? You think? Oh, that, that, but that is just a PC. I mean, well, but I, I don't. It, the funny thing is, like, you know, now we're going to have two, possibly three consoles that are extremely similar to PC hardware, uh, but no, all but with not, games though, that like, won't run on each other. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Like the, the PS4 is not like PC hardware. PCs don't have. 8 gigabytes of GDDR5 RAM. They have memory for the computer and a CPU for the computer, and then they have a GPU, and then there's RAM on the video card. Right, Two right, separate right. pools of very wildly different memory. One of it's really close to the dedicated GPU. You know, And this this is a very different arrangement than having a unified, super-fast RAM for the entire thing. And th- like there's, there's dedicated uh, like video the encode-decode hardware on, 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 the, on the thing for it, so they can do, you know, like real-time screen capture video of your plan. Like, the PS4 is not going to look like that Steam Boxing. Steam Boxing is literally going to be a PC. There's going to be RAM, there's going to be VRAM, there's going to be a GPU, there's going to be a CPU. That is very different architecturally from the PS4. And that's even before you start getting into all the little dedicated chips for all the dedicated functionality. And even before you get into how much closer you can get to the metal on, on the on these, uh, on these the PlayStation when, when writing games for it. So I expect PS4 games to look as good as the Steam Box games out of the gate. Assuming, assuming anyone ever makes, I mean, who is that company? Like that piston something company is making that steam box thing. I don't know. I don't know what Valve's plan know. is, but like they should, they should just either make their own hardware or pick one hardware vendor and make one single thing and not be like, oh, it's a free for all. Anyone can make a gaming PC that hooks up to your TV. Yeah, they can, but they all stink. Now, Marco, to go back quite a while, actually, what what is it that you liked so much about the Xbox One? And I asked because. Uh, the friends of mine that I have that that adored the Xbox One, in it seemed to me they adored it more for the hacky moddy things you could do with it than they did for the actual stock Xbox. Does does that question make sense? Oh yeah, and and, and I I bought mine actually pre-hacked um, because I didn't want to mess with it. But so I I bought I bought a, a modded Xbox um, in like 2004. I think it came out in like 2001 or something. So it was well into the well into the console's lifespan and. Uh, it was it was very nice. I I bought it mainly as a uh, a sixteen bit emulator for my TV, um, and and some media center <laughs> uh, functions like that originally XBMC, uh, running all that. It, w- it was fantastic for that. Um, but as as a gaming console, what I liked about the Xbox One uh, was that they really went all out on the hardware, and and they really they really had a few very good innovations. Um, one of the biggest ones uh, were those breakaway controller cords. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know you know, it was better than breakaway controller cords, Marco? 
wireless. No cords. Well, yeah, eventually. <laughs> That's Although, called innovation. Well, uh, yeah, but you and your breakaway controller cords. At the time, everything everything still had wires, and so if you're going with to have a bunch of wires, with the wave bird. If you're going to have a bunch of wires, that's a very good way to do it. And uh, and they also had, like, they had um, an auto-switching Ethernet port on the back. It was the first console, as far as I know, ever to have Ethernet at all. And uh, to have it built oh. in on every console was awesome. And it was auto-switching so that you could use a straight-through or a crossover cable between two Xboxes, and it would, make, and it would just make it work. Um, which, on Gigabit, I think all Gigabit ports have that, but that was only 100 megabit, and so it was optional at that time, and, and they put that in as like a little little trick. And they had all sorts of like neat little things, with the software, the management interface, stuff like that 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 you uh, that was very ahead of its time. And in addition to being a pretty powerful system graphics-wise, so overall, I I really enjoyed the Xbox, even though I didn't own one until relatively late in its lifespan. I thought it was a fantastic system. Um, and you know yeah. what's weird is, and this is totally dating me, well, except maybe to John, who probably was well ahead of me on this, but I, and, and Marco, I bet you've done this too. When, when you talk about an Ethernet connection on a, on a console, that I don't know why, but the first thing that ju- jumps to mind is me when I'm like 10, playing like Descent 1 and like Wolf 3, no, not Wolf 3D, but uh, Duke, Duke Nukem 3D and like Doom on serial no modem cables strung together in like my dad's office or whatever. So my friends would bring their freaking tower computers <laughs> and oh, their yeah. they're 800 pound 15 inch monitors over and we would have like a predecessor to a LAN party in, in you know, and that was how I spent my Friday or Saturday evenings when I was like 10 uh, playing these games against my friends locally, and then we thought we were really hot shit when when we would figure out how to do it over dial up, which by the way was so unreliable and so slow that it never friggin worked anyway. But I mean, I did you guys also do that sort of ridiculously nerdy crap when you were young? Oh yeah, I mean, o- almost every weekend in high school, and even like like the summer summers in college, my friends and I would do this. When we were all home uh, almost every weekend in high school. Though we would we would haul our our computers and our CRT monitors. Uh, to yep. one per to like whoever's house had had the hub at the time, <laughs> like different people got hubs at different times. This was before wireless, also. Um, so we would just have very long network cables, like duct taped to the ceiling and running down the stairs and everything. It, it was it, we would spend like six hours setting. We would like we would start the game at midnight. <laughs> because oh, yeah. it would just be so long just setting it up, trying to get all the computers to see each other on the network properly. It, it was a disaster. And, you know, people would have, like, their, their big CRT sitting on this rickety coffee table. Like, just everyone crammed into the basement. Oh, my God. it was. But we had a blast. It was tons of fun. And, I like, now we could all just do that with laptops <laughs> or iPads <laughs> and, and have just as much fun. But uh, there really is something about local multiplayer. I just – I love that. And for certain game yep, types yep. like uh, – we would almost always play RTSs, and and for especially for that for that game type, I mean, it's just it's such a fantastic setup, and it's so much better than playing online. It, it's so much better than uh, than split screen all on one TV from a console. It, it's it's fantastic. And now now the hardware is awesome. We all have enough money to afford laptops now, and laptops are all good enough to play games now. And now we all live in different places and have kids and stuff, and we're all too busy to ever do any of this stuff again. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's kind of sad. John, how much? How much? I presume you were an expert in all of these things, but did you get involved in all this? Only in college, really, because I didn't have like networking in my house until I went off to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and Apple Talk was awesome for this because Apple Talk, 
the discovery protocol on Apple Talk. Like when, when you're on Apple Talk Network, you can see everyone else who's also on the network. So that simplified setup greatly. You just have to plug all the things together with Apple Talk cables. Everyone can see everyone else. And like games like Marathon and stuff supported Apple Talk. So you just fire it up. You'd all see each other. You'd join up and play. It was like really easy, especially, you know, like college computer labs where all the, the Macs were there and they're all connected with Apple Talk. You just load Marathon on all of them and you've got, you know, instant LAN party in the computer lab. Yeah, but then, uh, then the problem that. there, though, is that you, you need two things that don't exist. Friends with Macs in the 90s and games for Macs. <laughs> no, in colleges, in colleges, the Macs, the labs are always filled with Macs. And we had, we had a marathon, which is all you really needed. I mean, I, I did play, I did play uh, Doom on the Mac over a modem, I believe, but I think that was after I had come back from college and played against somebody. They had old crappy ports again, but do you ever hear of A-V-A-R-A, Avara, Avara, however the hell you want to pronounce it? That was a great game with uh, Apple Talk networking. It was uh, non-texture mapped, but just like flat shaded polygons, like kind of like a, a mech game where your direction of travel and the direction that your head carrying the guns were pointing were independent of each other. Too complicated for modern gamers, certainly too complicated for a console, but very interesting to play over the network, especially at, at colleges because so with a college, you had an Apple Talk network, but you also had... Uh, an Ethernet connection to the internet, which was just like amazing coming from dial-up, right? So you could play people in, you know, far-off places over your Ethernet connection. Uh, that was like magic. I remember doing that on the... on the. You could only do it on, the, on the, the lab computers because back in your dorm, you just had a modem and it was a non-starter. You could play online games over Ethernet over the internet. Yeah, well, I mean, once we got to college, it was way easier because you were on a network of computers or you had labs... You know, in in high school, when you when you were just hauling your computer around, and of course before LCD monitors and good laptops, that was it was and wireless, it was so much more involved. I never would have taken my computer to any place. I'm, my precious, beautiful computer is <laughs> I going to carry them in a car and like in a box and check. It was, no, I would never. Have well, like done for that. me though, like like you know, you always had Macs, right? Yeah. So by definition, you were never building your own computer. For me, like I had this this weird half half hacked together tower that i had assembled myself like oh hell no, yeah no part of it really felt particularly like nice or fragile it always it always was just kind of like this that's why you like the xbox because it looked like it was built like a frankenstein monster <laughs> i know the xbox is huge lol no i, I it really like it, it and i i even had a full tower case not a mid tower a full tower because i wanted yeah, and i had friends with those cases too i went over to their houses and played their pc games with them at the <laughs> No, no good. Man, I, I still miss RTSs with local multiplayer. And you know, you know what I miss? And I, I actually did play some. I, like I played StarCraft and uh, and uh, Command and Conquer, Red Alert, some. But you know what I miss is uh, the days back in the day, Marco, when you and I would play Transport Tycoon together. Oh yeah, oh, God, on your those, OS two laptop. Uh, was it was it really OS two? I know I definitely ran OS two. I think we would have to boot to DOS to play Transport Tycoon. Uh, you're but the great right. thing is Transport Tycoon, which is a game that nobody had ever heard of, as far as I knew, it apparently has enough of a cult following that now there there's this huge open source thing called Open TTD for Open Transport Transport Tycoon Deluxe. Um, you can get a modern engine for Transport Tycoon that uses all the old assets, all the old art, and everything uh, for. It's open source. It's for Mac and Linux and Windows. The, I, somebody, I think, once tried to port it to the, to the App Store, and it got pulled out of the store for probably a GPL violation or something. Who knows? And uh, But you can get this now. So, like, I was playing Transport Tycoon again a few years ago on my MacBook 
on the train, like <laughs> building up a whole new. Awesome. It was it was awesome. And uh, you that know game has that lived was, on. Yeah, and did you know? Like, I believe it was Transport Tycoon. If it, if it wasn't Transport Tycoon, it was Roller Coaster Tycoon. You know, all that was or ninety nine percent of that was assembly. Wow, I did not know that. That's how you yeah. made games back in the DOS era. Yeah, you kind of had to. But I, that just melts my head. It, hey, I, half of the Mac operating system was assembly yeah, for, for yeah, yeah. most of its early life. It's the only right. way that you could do it to get any good performance out of it. It just I, that stuns me because when I was in when I was in school, I like John was a computer engineer, not a computer scientist, and so because of that, we had to take a bunch of double E courses. And one of the ones that I believe was classified as double E was uh, microprocessor. I, maybe, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it, basically, it was writing assembly for a, a Motorola HC11. And I I was one of the like six people I talked to that actually really, really loved that course. And I really did enjoy writing an assembly, but f- holy crap, I would not want to do that at that level. That just sounds painful. I, I could enjoy it. I really liked my assembly courses and I, I really got into it and I could see how I would be perfectly happy doing that. But like by the time I was taking that course, it was, I knew it wasn't, you know. Like if that was the mainstream way to program, I'd be perfectly happy. But you know, not with, the, with the way it is now, that's not. No one is writing entire large programs in assembly anymore. Uh, yeah, but Perl makes about as much sense. No. It's about as readable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I, you know, I and I going back a sec to Transport Tycoon. Um, I have lots of like ideas for little little games I would make if I knew how to make games and had time to do so and chose to do that with that time. Um, none of which are true. But one of the things that I've always wanted to do is, you know, take what I love so much about Transport Tycoon is building the train networks. I don't really care about the other parts of the game. Uh, I just I like building these complicated train networks with tracks laid out in such a way that the maximum throughput of trains can go through and not get all gummed up and everything. And and I think I bet you could extract that just that element of it into a simpler game for iOS that's that's modern and and just simpler and, and fun and I and, and I know there's there's train yard which is not really the same thing um that although it's very good but uh as far as I know that doesn't exist yet and I, and I don't really know even what the details of that would be like how exactly that what exactly the gameplay would be how it would work uh I would imagine to be some kind of puzzle like game where you know you're trying to design these tracks and put the signals in the right places where they would do the right thing and everything but you know, all, all to maximize throughput and you know, th- minimize traffic. And I, once you once you envision that program in your head, don't you immediately envision the program that you would write to solve that game? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know I, mean? I like, think you just you just make an algorithm and have it sick it on the game and have it maximize throughput. You know? I think it might be NP complete to to solve what I'm what I'm imagining. But it, oh, it's like one of the it's one of those. You ever see them where they do the the automator uh, things for like uh, Mario games and stuff, where <laughs> you try to make an algorithm that will successfully get you through the level. But there are like limitations to how you're doing it. Like it has to be real time. You can only do it in like the scanning interval. So you can't really be smart. So you have to come up with like the the dumbest algorithm, right? Uh, that that can execute on on this this limited CPU during the interval between frames that successfully gets you through the level. <laughs> That's really nerdy. My goodness. That's impressive. Now, did you ever play Transport Tycoon, John? Do you even know what we're talking about? No, but I know those. I know those tycoon games. But you don't. That's the thing. But you don't. It's not like the others, right. John. Most it's people like think the that Transport Tycoon is like Railroad Tycoon or Roller Coaster Tycoon, and it's not. And it was. I think it was made by totally different people. It's much more like SimCity. It's closer. I to al- that. I also don't like SimCity. Okay, well, like you probably wouldn't like this. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I understand why people are into them. I see the appeal, but I like, I played them. I just it's not my cup of tea. I mean, the gist of the game is it is very. It looks a lot like SimCity, and there are a bunch of cities on the map, but you don't build the cities. You you are a transportation network, and you build the trains and the planes and the roads that connect the cities, and you get business from that. And so you spend most of your time like laying out track. And I like Pipe Dream. Does that count? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Do you, do you remember Pipe Dream? I don't think so. It's no, uh, you have a, bu- a, a bunch of pieces that are all square, and, he, and a piece can have a straight line from top to bottom, a straight line from left to right. Those are the pipes. It could oh, be a cross piece. Think, yeah. It could be an elbow. Uh, and you had to lay out the pieces as they came. You didn't get to pick and choose. It was like, here's your next piece. Find someplace good for it. Uh, and then eventually water would start flowing, and the goal was like to get your pipe set up for a really long run of water. That's that right. You meet some limit. Uh, let, the best thing about Pipe Dream is that I think at least one, possibly multiple games, have added basically Pipe Dream as their version of like hacking. Like when you're in some game and you <laughs> oh, open yeah. a door lock and they, they put you into the hacking minigame. And the hacking minigame is it's basically Pipe Dream, you know, with like wires and special effects and stuff like that. But you're like, wait a second, this hacking game is Pipe Dream, which is, you know, that. It has nothing to do with actual hacking, and it's not even, like, they just have to have some sort of activity that regular people who don't know anything about computers will accept as, okay, I guess this is hacking, and they use Pipe Dream, which I, I like Pipe Dream. I thought the game was fun. I think they even had a version of that in The Seventh Guest. Really yeah, it's very it's a very popular, like, they disguise it as much as possible, and so, but eventually you realize, wait a second, this is this is just, like, Pipe Dream, cleverly disguised. So, <laughs> A, other- I'm definitely going to release this as another accidental tech podcast episode. B... I wonder if anybody is going to know what I just said about the seventh guest. Like, if, if anybody even remembers what that is. They will. I remember, remember what it was. I actually loved Eleventh Hour. Do you know what that is? I do. That's the sequel, but I never played yes, it. indeed. Mm. See, I never played Seventh Guest, coincidentally, but I really enjoyed Eleventh Hour. Yeah, it was, it, it, the Seventh Guest was, is one of those CD-ROM games. Where wasn't it one it, of the first? It was one of the first CD-ROM games, I think. It, it certainly it was one of the first I'd ever seen. And... Uh, and it was you. The, it was like you're, you're in this haunted mansion, and you had to like solve puzzles. And it was just like a big puzzle solving game, um, and so it was tons of these little mini games and trying to figure out some murder mystery. I, I forget the exact story, but uh, it, it it was one of those games where like because it was on a CD-ROM, most of the time in the game was spent. Uh, like watching these little FMV sequences, these little videos, because games couldn't have videos up until that point. There was not enough storage space on, on cartridges, so they were they would waste the whole CD with like videos and CD audio raw, and <laughs> and so you just spend the whole time like watching video clips and clicking between them, and that was the game. Uh, but it, it did have some pretty hard puzzles in it. I remember that it because it was right uh, to my memory, which is terrible. Uh, it was right around the time that like Mist had come out as well, or maybe for the PC anyway. Mist. But Mist was it, way more popular. But the Seventh Guest, I think, yeah. predated it. And and well, I, it, I remember like Mist was time. like Mist seemed so primitive after seeing the Seventh Guest because it wasn't full motion. It was like a slideshow that you were clicking between and Mist. Well, it was HyperCard Mist rather? There's video on that. Was it just a lot yeah. less of it? It was. Just, was it was po- QuickTime, so it was tiny video. Okay, we'll see. Like the, like, like the seventh guest, every every move you made would be animated the whole way, and and with I think with Mist, like if you clicked to move, you know, to go into a room, like it would just clip and you'd be there, right? Yeah, well, they did a crossfade, but yeah, the full motion video was. I love was that you remember that there was a crossfade. A pl- it was a plague on uh, on on CD on optical media games because there was 
so many. T- Remember, there was a vampire game with Shannon Doherty in it. I think that was the low point. There, it, uh, and there were a whole lot of like make your own video. music video games. There was like a crisscross one for the Sega CD. <laughs> really? Yeah, God, those, that's awful. Those were those were, Seven Guests was a good game, but in general, full motion video on CD-ROM, those were all terrible games. Especially you know because like when CD-ROMs first came out, yes, they could hold video. But they couldn't hold or play back very good quality video. So you were seeing, like, you were sitting there, sitting through really low quality, really grainy, tiny video. If you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, one of the thing, one of the other CD games, that, CD-ROM games that I really loved at the time, although I think it was a couple years later, was uh, Wing Commander 3. Did you guys ever play that? It had Mark Hamill in it. John, you must have played this. I know what you're talking about. I was not a Wing Commander fan. Uh, I, this is the only one of the series I ever played, that, but I really loved it. And that had a lot of full motion video, and it was split across like four CD-ROMs, which was unheard of at the time. Um, but a couple things about uh, Seventh Guest and, and Mist. Firstly, John, I'm surprised that, that you aren't in love with Mist strictly because it was originally done in HyperCard. Um, I liked it. I, I liked that you could cheat by holding down Command and Option. I did not know that. What would that let you do? So in hyper, when you make a hypercard stack, uh, you can like make little regions that are clickable or whatever. And when you when you're developing a hypercard, you want to know what those regions are. So you could hold down command and option, and it would put dotted <laughs> lines around around the clickable regions. Uh, and That's in early awesome. early versions of Mist, they had not, I guess, found a way to disable that or whatever. So it really took the mystery out of the game if you could hold down command and option and see what the right. clickable regions were on any of the Mist screen. That's awesome. Uh, and then also a real-time follow-up, because I don't want to have an episode without it, from Wikipedia. Mist was commercially successful on release. Along with The Seventh Guest, it was widely regarded as a killer application that accelerated the sales of CD-ROM drives. Which was first? I'm curious. Uh, seventh Guest, by a few months. That's it? Yeah, because I... Like, I and this is this is of course just you know whatever my friends had, but I, like I saw the seventh guest a few years before I ever saw Mist. But that, again, that's just because my friend had it, and I guess nobody bought Mist for a yeah. while. Well, the best part was I remember vividly uh, for uh, these games loading them into what do you call it? Not a carousel, but it was a. Uh, like a cartridge a that you yeah 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 so you put the cd into a caddy and the caddy into the external cd rom drive and that's how i played it and oh my god that was so terrible <laughs> and it was probably scuzzy it was it was <laughs> indeed you're absolutely so, so right what you pc weenies missed out on was that before mist uh were two games called the manhole and cosmic osmo which were the manhole cl- the manhole yep is and- that and cosmic Not osmo which were which were absolutely 100% precursors to mist uh, but they were black and white, uh, and they did not come on CD-ROM. Cosmic also came on like six floppy disks or something, six 800K floppy disks. But it was the same exact thing, a hypercard stack with static screens that you could click on to make things happen, to solve puzzles, much more casual puzzles, much more kid-oriented, lighter weight type things, all black and white graphics, but it was the same type deal. Click, go from one place to the other. Mist was simply 640 by 483D rendered, color version of that plus full motion video but if you had played those first two games it was a natural progression well also apparently it was by the same guys who did mist which yes, i've never guys, heard yes, of this. cyan uh those guys mm-hmm. Cosmo I, Osmo never... was is a very important a very important piece of work along with like fool's errand uh, in the world in the pantheon of, of gaming and mech gaming do you uh, think you yeah, could see, still totally make ignorant. a game like mist today or do you think everybody would just want it to be a free 3d world where you can move wherever you wanted well, that's what the Mist games are like now. I mean, they, they went. Oh, they, they still went, make them. 
Well, they did. They did mist, and then like Riven was just like mist, but like much nicer and better. Then they did the one uh, Mist Three Exile, where you could uh, like QuickTime VR, you could change your viewpoint and look around in real time. So it was like you were in a series of uh, of uh, you know bubbles, the QuickTime VR things that you could look around in, and they like still those real between. estate walkthroughs. Yeah, uh, but only much <laughs> much nicer and motion motion sickness inducing in me. Right. Then they did real mist, which was like take mist one. Now we can do that in real time. Uh, and then they did Uru, which was the online thing where you could walk around and and uh, in complete three D. But like, yeah, they we're far past the point of of static screens. Although I believe Riven is coming out for the iPad, and I think that will actually be a good application for people wondering. Riven is the best game if you can only play one of them. Uh, play Riven, even with the static screens. Uh, I think on the iPad, it, it'll it'll still work well. Yeah, actually, that kind of game probably like there's so many game ports that that people are dumping onto iOS now because if they think they can make a quick buck off their old catalog, and uh, such as the seventh guest, that's for iPad now. I didn't realize that. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow, I actually might try that just to see. I, I'm sure the game is not nearly as good as I remember. Four ninety nine never is, but uh, like like Sega's dumping so much crap on there, and like there's like there's so many like old console and old PC games that are just being dumped on iOS, and. Uh, most of them are just terrible because controlling things is so different on iOS. But I imagine a game like Mist and Riven um, would probably be really That's a easily fit, portable, you right? Just tap. Right. You just you know, it's random access. It's even better than doing it with a mouse because you don't have the mouse cursor mucking things up, and you have random access. But they really need to, to bring is Myth M Y T H. Wasn't that like an RTS with old, with like uh, fantasy yep. people or or uh, it was a, yeah, it was uh, yep. Uh, but it was uh, no resources. Uh, at the beginning of the round, you have a certain number of points that you distribute to your whatever units you want to select, and that's it. No mining, no producing new troops, no nothing. So it was a tactics game, really. But it's perfect for the iPad because it was all about, uh, you know, swiping around the battlefield, rotating, skewing, selecting multiple people. You can imagine, like, tracing your hands around them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'd have a little bit of difficulty because there were formation keys, like all the number keys were which formation you wanted, and then you would click and drag to align your formation. But I feel like with a series of gestures, you could pull that off, uh, and it would be awesome. I played Myth like crazy, and that, that would be awesome on the iPad. I definitely feel like the, the RTS-type games or, or games that have RTS-like controls um, are really so far underexplored on, on the iPad. Because yeah, I think they could be and awesome. terrible on the on the console because oh, you don't yeah. have a random access. You don't have a random access. You don't have a mouse pointer, so it's just like it's a nightmare, right? So it's it, they're good on on the Mac or PC, terrible on the console. But the iPad it should be great because you know you have random access and you know ten fingers. You really need you really need the iPad Pro for that. The the big the one. twenty inch iPad Pro <laughs> wow. where you can use two hands to, to play Myth three thousand that Bungie will come out with when they're done with Destiny. But so if another, we at least had all iPads, we, I wouldn't have to carry my full tower PC to my friend's house to play RTSs. <laughs> That's true. Go. On a random note, you know what else that just jumped into my head that I used to love playing back in the day was Battle Chess. Did you guys ever play that? I, I saw it, Battle yeah. Chess, yep. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that. It was it was just a stupid <laughs> that, animation. Yeah, that, that, was, that. that was exactly uh, aimed for 10-year-olds. Who were like, yep. Look, and, yep. they cut the guy's head off. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so awesome! This is so much like, better than regular chess. <laughs> and the, wasn't it even? It wasn't even. Was it three twenty by two hundred? I don't even remember. Four eighty. Yeah, that I was don't that know. was the dividing line between disgusting PC games with the pixels the size of bricks and real software that had reasonable yeah. size. Very pixels. few games of that era were six forty by four eighty. Yep, Syndicate well, is the first one I remember seeing. I'm like, finally, PC gaming has arrived. Well, according to the screenshot in Wikipedia for Battle Chess, it was three twenty by two hundred. But yeah, I, yeah. I get the feeling this has got to be shrunk. Or well, something. I remember like like when I one of my favorite classic games is Scorched Earth. 
to the extent that um, when I was in college, I tried making a Scorched Earth clone about five different ways and starting over five different times. Uh, that's how I learned DirectX. That's how I learned OpenGL. Um, I started even trying that on iOS because um, I love Scorched Earth so much. And, and, and in fact, um, my wife, who was then just my girlfriend, even made me a Scorched Earth pillow uh, for one of the various anniversary or Valentine's something or other where she, like, stitched a scorched earth screenshot that she found, like she, she reproduced it with stitching on a pillow. It looks awesome. I still have it. Uh, but, um, yeah, that was a fantastic game. And, and I, I was happy to see like some games similar to it. Um, like that, that tank game, whatever I shoot, um, on iOS in the early days. Um, but where go? Oh yeah. That game, that was like one of the very first games I had where I could run it at the full resolution that my, that my video card supported, which was 640 by 480. And it just looked so much better than my friend's crappy 320 by 200 version on his little bit older PC. Um, all those, all those sharp lines and every everything was so crisp on my 640 by 480 screen. That's what us uh, Mac gamers were lording over all you people. Yeah, you may have color, but who wants color? <laughs> and we games. have sharp, sharp black and white graphics. <laughs> wow! Now, it really did make a, such a difference, though, but the, the sharpness of the things you could do. That's what. That's why games like you know. Fool's Errand were possible with those tiny, sharp little graphics. Or even even things like Dark Castle, where, where PC gamers, when they saw Dark Castle, were, were impressed because it was something they couldn't see on their systems. Even though this was a black-and-white game, they did not turn their nose up on it. They were fascinated by it because it was, uh, you know, didn't exist at all anywhere. No, nothing had, you know, 72 DPI screen with uh, tiny little characters with real sound. That's the other thing that PC gamers would be impressed by, you know, because they... If you didn't have a fancy sound card, you just had the PC yep. speaker and it would like bleep <laughs> at you or whatever. You know, all the Macs came out of the box, 22 kilohertz audio, and you know, they'd put like actual clips of sounds. I used to impress uh, PC folks when they came over. I would just play like random clips from like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and stuff. Just play them as like beep sounds. They'd be like, wow, your computer made that sound? Is there a CD in there? I was like, no, it just, that's just sound the computers make. They can make sounds. You know, it's funny because I, I don't really give a crap about hardware in in terms of the intricacies of this GPU versus that or this processor versus that. But back in those days, man, I remember the having arguments about what was it like the Sound Blaster 16 versus the Sound Blaster Pro and, yeah. and like all these stupid, terrible arguments that when you're 10 years old and a complete freaking nerd, God, you took them so seriously. Well, and, also, and, like back then... It- it was a much rougher world with all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like you would have some games just wouldn't support your sound card, and that'd be it. And 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 even just like the point where you went from PC speaker to sound card. Nobody had Mac, sorry, John. But the point when you went from PC speaker to sound card, that was a major upgrade because it really did change what your computer could do. It it radically changed what it was like to play games, and and like. Like to me, like so, I, I got my first computer. It was a 486 um, without without a sound card, and then like I got as an add-on, like the next Christmas, I got a package that was a sound blaster that a CD-ROM drive would also plug into because the motherboards didn't have CD controllers. Like I think it was a Tappy the, the interface that they used. Yeah, and so you had like early spell. sound cards would actually come with a Tappy controllers, and they would sell the CD-ROM and the sound card as a bundle. So that so like my first Christmas after having my first computer, I added to it a CD-ROM and a sound card, and that was such a massive upgrade. Like I don't think there was an upgrade that significant until getting internet connectivity. Like in in how much it changed my computer, 
and then getting internet connectivity, there wasn't anything really after that until SSDs, maybe? Well, what about Wi-Fi? I mean, uh, See, maybe how, not how the same. How are you not finding Max? Because you're adding this terrible CD-ROM drive and the Sound Blaster card to the computer, and it's such a huge upgrade, and like every Mac all was already able to do that <laughs> for years and years when you had your 486, and you were just ignoring them. Yeah, probably. They're off on the side there. They all had stereo sound that worked. They got all, you could connect the CD-ROM drive to all of them. You didn't have to buy anything weird. It was just, it was just there. I probably wouldn't have been able to afford a good... Because like, this was... Yeah. I bought this computer in 1994. Uh, yeah, or like late 90... No, it was early 94. And I remember it cost like $2,000 with monitor and printer. Like, what, what would a decently equipped Mac cost in... Sorry, not 2004. 1994. <laughs> right. Uh, what would a decently equipped Mac cost in 94? I'd probably double that. Right. I mean, that, that was the problem. Like, exactly. we, we couldn't afford it. So, you know, I, I had, this, I had my, uh, my Gateway 2000 PC that came in the CowSpot box. Well, the LCs oh, were out the there. 1994, the LCs were out. You could get a crappy low-cost Mac. <laughs> With a CD-ROM and sound card? Yeah, well, you know, there was no sound card. You understand? There was no right, sound all, card on the right. Mac. They all came. They all came with sound that worked. <laughs> it was like it's built in. It's not. There's no incompatibility. Like the very first one, 128 kilobytes of RAM, 22 kilohertz sound. It was just like regular sound. You know, they they jumped up to CD quality eventually, but it was like you would never. There was never a Mac that could just bleep and boop at you. Right. But the Apple II would do that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, speaking of RAM, and this is for Marco, do you remember doing the dance with conventional memory and trying to make sure that your like, auto-exec button config sys had, had the drivers set up in such a way that you would eke out just barely enough conventional memory in order to run whatever game yeah, you wanted to I, run? I did that over my friend's house trying to get the games <laughs> oh, to run. They God. would come with little instructions on what's, how to change your config.sys yep, and, yep. You know, and a bat file to try to get the thing to boot up. It was like... You would get one game to work, and then you'd have to be like, "Okay, are we done with this game now?" Because we have another game, and we have to screw with the settings. And again. this one needs and the mouse, you can't, so we you need can't, to screw with it. You can't do both of them. Yep, <laughs> so. I had these bitchin' like boot disks and in uh, these like <laughs> auto exec scripts that yep. that were like full on menu systems. So I, you know, you would you'd turn the computer on. It would be like, "What game do you want to play?" Yep, and yep. based on what game you wanted to play, it would either engage or disengage the mouse and turn on or off your sound blaster and the CD driver. <laughs> Barbaric. Oh, it was barbaric, but God, it was... So really I guess I was lucky, because, like, right so after that, like, I, I, I bought my first computer, like, right when that stuff started not mattering anymore. Like, it had it had 8 megs of RAM, which, at the time, was pretty good. Like, it wasn't, like, a workstation level, but it was, for a home computer, that was very good. And so, like, I, and it was, like, DOS 6.1 or 6.2, so it was already, like, DOS was pretty mature at that point. The Sound Blaster was really easy. It was a Sound Blaster 16. I just put it on the default IRQs and everything, and it just worked, and all the games just supported Sound Blaster 16s already. So, like, I, I feel like I, I entered that, like, right after it was all those pains in the ass. The, the next time I had such a big pain in the ass, and I'm going to butcher the, the acronym, but... It was, uh, we were living in Austin, Texas at the time, actually, and we were getting, we were trying to hook up to our first ISP, and not only did we have to write the modem command script, whatever that's called, <laughs> nice. where it was like AT, blah, blah, blah. AT, H, something, 2, yeah, yeah. D2. So we had to write that, but then we had to write the script that you would run, that the modem would run, or whatever, the computer would run once you connect to the ISP, 
God, I wish I could remember the name of the script, but we had to write that by hand. And this was when ISPs, like nobody had an ISP. Everyone had friggin' AOL. Right. It was like, wait for this and send that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wrote this in college to connect to my college's network with my modem. God, I used to remember what it was called. And my dad and I literally spent like two weeks trying to figure this friggin' thing out. And finally we did, and it was like a whole new world. Didn't take me that long because I had internet access in the lab. Really yeah, see, we had no such really easy to look up modem and its scripts. Uh, and uh, yeah, once it, they, they weren't that complicated. <laughs> well, but bear in mind, I was like 12 at the time. We yeah. didn't have an internet to turn to because A, there was barely an internet to begin with. And B, this was us trying to get on the fucking internet right. in the first place. So, oh man, it was so painful. God, I wish I could remember the name of that yeah, script. I remember tweaking my modem and its scripts. It was like once I, I got interested enough in it to look up like the AT whatever language made by well, who was the who was the one who made that? Was it Hayes? Yeah, the, whoever came up with that originally. You know, but it does make sense once you understand how it works. And so you could tweak it to try to get like a little bit more performance out of your Z modem transfers. You know, if you just change this, tweak this parameter a little bit. See, let's try that. Hmm, 500 characters per second. I think I can get more. I think bolt on a cold air intake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I remember the days of like the external U.S. robotics modems. Didn't you talk about that at one point, Mark? Yeah, well, because that was like the fr- well, the first modem I had um, because I, I wasn't I wasn't allowed to really get on the internet for a while just for for money reasons. Um, the, so the first modem I had was just a hand me down from I don't even know where I got it. Maybe the garbage or thrift store. It was twenty four hundred baud, and it was a tremendous external serial modem. And this was probably nineteen ninety six. It was pretty late to have a twenty four hundred baud modem. Um, and the only thing I could connect to was this local BBS that was free. Uh, there was no internet service for me back then. So what I eventually got, though, was um, I, I eventually somehow negotiated, or I think, I think somebody else felt pity on me and handed me down a 14.4 modem a little while later, which at the time, again, was, was ridiculously slow, but it was at least a lot better than 2400. So uh, with that, I convinced my, my richest friend, who, whose dad had an AOL account, uh, to give me a screen name on his account. So I could log on and I, w- I would leave call waiting off. Uh, I mean, I, I would leave call waiting enabled and leave the speaker on the modem on constantly, which is an AT command that you have to modify to do that. And uh, and just listen to the the whole time I'm, I'm online. Just listen to that. <laughs> and I would have to listen for the call waiting beep because if the call waiting beep, it was either my friend who wanted to use the account because we couldn't both be logged in or it was somebody calling for my mom, and we only had one phone line, so I had to I had to flip the modem off, pick up the phone, and answer the phone, <laughs> and then you know lose all the connections I had. Any download I was, that was in progress would be lost. Have to start over again. Um, AOL, the AOL client would freak out because it wasn't really accustomed to your modem just being turned off all the time in the middle of tra- in the middle of being used, um, and uh, it was terrible. And I went straight from that terrible AOL setup to eventually a thirty three six modem. That was a gift for me from my from my mom. I really appreciated that thirty three six modem. Uh, still no service though. I still use my friend's account. And then <laughs> after about another year of that, I went right to cable. Uh, I finally convinced my mom to let me buy my own internet service. I I, I was working at a uh, a little hippie food co op grocery store when I was like fifteen. So I I was able to pay the forty bucks a month for the Roadrunner service from Time Warner. It was one of the very first cable modems. It was awesome. And I went straight from 33.6 AOL, my friend's account, to 10 megabit, unmonitored, awesome, everything. You never got 56K. No, I skipped, skipped, I, I skipped 28.8 and 56K, the, like the two most common ones. Yeah. I skipped both of them. No, no I, I skipped 28.8 and 33.6. 
I went I went twenty four ninety seven ninety six uh fourteen four fifty six. Yeah. Um, see, I went 96, 14, 4, 28, 30, 33, 6. And a lot of this, I went through every step. And I remember that we chose the X2 side of the X2 K56 yep. flex <laughs> debate. Uh, but the reason I was able to get all this stuff was not because we were t- particularly uh, fluent, but because dad worked for IBM. So he arguably needed all this crap for work. And so because of that, I got to kind of ride on his coattails in the same way I'm riding on Marco's M5's coattails, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, I, I need this car for work. I still have all my modems <laughs> up in the attic, you know. Well, I, st- I think I still have the 3360. Like, there, it was, so, you know. Original I, boxes and everything. I got the cable modem in, like, 98 or 99, one of those. And, uh, but I was still, I still had a reason to pull out that old external 3360 US Robotics modem, like, once a year until, like, 2005. I, like, I, I, I held on to it because I kept needing it for, like, occasional, like, oh, crap, something's broken, I can't do something, I need this modem to save me in some way. Like that, that kept coming up for a, almost a decade after I had it. Oh man, memories. We're so old. We really are. <laughs> That's oh, a good time goodness. to end, what do you think? Yeah, probably. It's getting late anyway. I'm about to turn to a pumpkin or whatever you do when you get really tired. <laughs> right. Anything else, though? I, I think I'm good... just going to let you keep talking. That's the... Yeah, right? It's getting better. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> And and I only had that one glass of of uh, silver tree, some kind of fruity vodka. vodka. And it was not fruity, jackass. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that and that is long since done. So I can't even blame it on the booze. Oh well. All right. Anything else? No, I think we're good. I, uh, I actually that was a really good accidental tech podcast, if I'm allowed to say yeah. so. You guys okay? I thought that wasn't actually. Me, uh, good. I thought that wasn't actually going to be a podcast. So I was too loose with my gaming talk. My fans will be disappointed. That's the oh, best. No, God, that's not listening. The to this whole guy. point, John, is that if we convince you to do any kind of additional tech podcast, we can't allow you to prepare for it because then you'll yeah. get then you'll get burned out and you'll and you'll have to stop I didn't doing even it. See, I still got to find the video. I only saw the tail end of the video. I just looked at the, the Sony reports of the of the front part. Yeah, I just saw. I started. I, I joined when they were showing the Killzone demo. The obligatory pre-rendered BS Killzone <laughs> demo, which has become part of the Sony press conference experience. I just, I, I really have doubts with these consoles that, like, is, is the console business still growing meaningfully? Oh, I don't know if they're going to be successful business-wise, but all, I, the hardware they're making, uh, I would like to buy and use, and I hope they stay in business long enough to make, to make games for it. I, I'm not even going to even attempt to handicap uh, their business stuff, but the hardware, I I think it's still very interesting, much more interesting to me than just like making a gaming PC. Like you know, if you look at the optical disc for video business, you know, I I think you know we had the HD DVD versus Blu-ray format where which sucked, and and then now we still have the problem with like a lot of people just don't upgrade to Blu-ray because. DVD is good enough for them, and they don't really oh, notice. Because Blu-ray is and, so terrible. Yeah, and Blu-ray <laughs> is such a pain in the ass. Like, all the weirdo new menu things they do, and yeah, all the, the Java. And, so terrible. And so, like, I, I think looking at that landscape, it very well might be that Blu-ray is the last video disc format. Oh, certainly, yeah. And, and, no and if it's not, there's only probably one more. You know, but I think Blu-ray is probably going to be the last one. You know, looking at these consoles, I would say there's a good chance these might be the last consoles that Microsoft uh, and Sony make. No, 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 no. If they if they play their cards right, they shouldn't be. They're, they're the last consoles that are going to have optical discs in them, probably. <laughs> you know, that's there was many questions about whether the PlayStation Four would have an optical drive, whether they were just going to go download only. But and I think we don't know the answer to that yet, do we? 
yeah, they, no, they're going to have optical drives. They can't go to download only because the games are too big. Yeah, it's a little aggressive. Connections are too, are, are too slow. So, yeah, I, I have faith that certainly Microsoft can stay in business with their other things funding them. And Sony, I think they'll, I think they'll both pull it out. For, I mean, Microsoft will be fine because Microsoft is fine pumping money into a, a losing division for a long time. Um, and, and Xbox is finally making money for them. Oh, it is. So, yeah, it turned around sometime towards the end. I, I don't know if it like turned around if you ignore the red ring of death <laughs> right. cost or if you don't, but basically it came around. Like that's that that's their one little success story. They're just fighting the wrong battle. But yeah, I hope they both stay in business because I like game consoles and I don't want them to go away. I I, I do t- like I, I. It's hard for me to really enjoy them because I haven't really had time to enjoy a game console or, or rather i haven't you haven't even played journey it's shameful i know like i haven't i haven't chosen to spend my time that way i guess it's I two hours play. marco two hours <laughs> so angry go do it now Mr. i think Rest i might have even the bought the it night. oh you ever well there was, take, there was it, it's some two hours day. to play the game but it takes four hours to get the game. right that was the problem there was <laughs> there was a day and, and i i am you for recommendations there's a day yeah. where where tiff and i decided you know like it, this was before the baby was born and we were bored, and we were like, and like it was like a weekend. Like, okay, I, I can I can justify not working for one day, and we're like, let's play video games, okay? And so we go to, we go to play video games, and we're like, all right, well, what do we have? We have we have all three systems. Well, the Wii is I think upstate somewhere at her parents' house. I don't know where the Wii is anymore, but because um, we have no desire to play the Wii, but we have uh, the 360 and the PS3. They both have internet connections. They both have downloadable game stores. All right, let's go. What what do you want to play? And we we, re- we realized we were totally unqualified to even choose a game uh, to to buy and play from their stores. So uh, so you know, so I am I am I am Syracuse. So, you know, I asked you, oh, what should we get? You gave me all these recommendations. They were mostly pretty good. So I go and like, oh, I got to add more credit to my account, but I don't want to give Sony my credit card because they keep getting hacked, so I have to find some way around that. And and then while the PS3 game was dialing, I'm like, let's switch over to the Xbox. This is going to take forever. And then go through 17 system software updates and all these reboots. Go over to the Xbox and do pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, going through all the software updates and all the reboots, then going and trying to buy some games, having to add more credit to my account because I haven't added any credit to, for, to it since 2005 and all this or whatever. And like all these, all these hoops to jump through, these overhead of trying to start playing a game. And uh, oh, let, let me download the demo for this one before I buy it. And then the demo sucks. And then you can't multiple download or anything because if you do, it cancels the first download. And it was such a disaster. We ended up spending hours trying to play a game. And then by the time we actually started playing a game, which eventually we started, uh, what's that black and white you one? Play, you, you played Limbo. Yeah, Limbo. And that's a really good game. We, we enjoyed it for a while, but uh, haven't, I haven't actually gone back and finished it yet. That was like the perfect game for this uh, for us. But it took us hours of dicking around with the consoles well, well, and their think, stores. Think if you didn't turn on your Mac for a couple of years and you wanted to, you wanted <laughs> to get something. Oh, well, the thing you want is only in the Mac App Store. What's the Mac App Store? Oh, well, you need 10.6.8 to get that. <laughs> oh, well, then I got to upgrade that. Okay, once I get 10.6.8, oh, that only runs on, online, so I got to upgrade again. Like, if you didn't use your Mac for years, you'd be in for the same crazy upgrade thing. You know, if, if you use your console frequently, the system updates are... Yeah, they're more frequent than, than OS 10 point updates, but they're not that onerous. Well, they'd be spread out because you'd be using it more frequently. But, but well, I do use it frequently, the, but I use it frequently the, as a media player. Right. So the people who don't actually play games on it, except for once in a blue moon, just like they have all these updates built up uh, for them. Uh, but if you if you use it frequently, like that's not stopping any of my kids. But they're, they're playing the things every, at least once a week, and so everything is all always updated and really fine. And I think there's plenty of Wii games that you would actually enjoy. 
Not that I'm recommending you go day out the Wii because now it's kind of past its prime, but you know. I mean, During honestly, time, if I was going to get back into the Wii, I'd get the Wii U because one of the things I hated so much about the Wii was the lack of HD output. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it was past its prime when it was introduced and it's even farther past yeah. now. But yeah, the Wii U is fun. Talk about multiplayer uh, gaming where one person's got the little screen, one person's got the big one, no split screen. It's kind of nice. Yeah, I, I imagine like once once my kid is old enough to want to play video games, I imagine my opinion of consoles will change and my usage pattern will change. Um, but for the next few years until that happens, presumably... Uh, yeah, so you got to keep uh, those console makers in business, <laughs> waiting for Adam to get older. He's got a, got a couple of years, maybe five years, before he can do something useful, and there better be a console maker still standing. <laughs> I, I, would, like, I imagine some geek parents have probably attempted this, where you attempt to make your kid just be happy with a very large quantity of games for an old system that now costs nothing. Um, but I would imagine that plan uh, did, falls apart when they go to the friends' house. I did that houses. with my kids. No, I did that with my kids. They they do not care. He played Nintendo sixty four games, GameCube games, Wii games. None of those are HD. They're, some of them are just hideous looking, and it was no. He never has never made a peep about a game not looking good, not once. And he's eight now. That's pretty good. Yeah, maybe I'll try that. For, like, I still have that modded Xbox somewhere. Um, loaded up with my emulator packs of like every game ever made for the Genesis, the Super Nintendo, the NES, and uh, I think even a few for the TurboGrafx-16 and a few. Wow. And it could yeah, it, that's it the one did thing. emulate the I N64. Didn't, um, I didn't try 2D games. Maybe he would have complained if it did 2D. They were all like Nintendo 64 as far back as I went, but Nintendo 64 games look awful compared to, you know, I mean, that was like the first things that were 3D, you know. It's, they They're not good looking. Uh, but maybe he would have balked at 2D. I'm not sure. So you'll, you'll find out. Try him, try him out with uh, Space Invaders. Well, but now so many iOS games are 2D, and so many kids end up playing those. Yeah, but they're you know 2D Retina. <laughs> it's a right. little bit different than, uh, than wow. uh, yeah Super uh. Nintendo graphics or whatever. 